As we begin this morning, perhaps you would think with me, you would imagine with me that you're in that upper room with Jesus for that Last Supper. We have this photograph of this Last Supper that perhaps helps to imagine being there with him. This, of course, was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. It didn't go down just like this, actually. They wouldn't have been sitting around a table like this. The way they ate in that day is they would recline almost on a cot, and they would rest their head against their hand as they eat with the other hand. And they would be around a circle looking at each other as they enjoyed their meal together. And Jesus is, in John chapter 17, still in the upper room with his disciples. They've enjoyed that last supper. It was the Passover meal in which they remembered the great exodus of Israel out of the bondage of slavery and out of Egypt. And now Jesus has imbued it with, with completely new meaning as well as he's told them about his coming death. And he celebrated communion with them as he celebrated the Passover meal. And he says to them, uh, this bread represents my body. And this cup of wine represents my blood. And I'm about to give it all up for you. Then he washes their feet as one of the most beautiful acts of humble service one could imagine. And then he goes on to instruct them for three consecutive chapters, John 14 through 16, about the Holy Spirit, about life and death and suffering, about joy and peace in spite of the troubles that we will inevitably have here in this world. And he tells his disciples that they are going to scatter from him as he goes to the cross. It's basically like this. He says to his disciples, I'm going to be whipped to an inch of my life. I'm going to be stripped naked. I'm going to be hung on a cross by the Romans and ridiculed and mocked by both Romans and Jews. And you're all going to abandon me at my hour of greatest need. But first, let me pray for you. That's what Jesus is doing here. As we go into John 17, he says, you're all going to leave me. I'm going to be crucified. I will go through deepest grief and greatest pain. Let me pray for you. And then he gives them John chapter 17, a prayer for his disciples then and a prayer for us his disciples today. You can see it on the screen if you'd like. You can sit back and close your eyes. Please don't go to sleep. You can listen to these words, this prayer of Jesus for you as well. Jesus looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began." 
I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them now. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word in the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified." My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity." Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me. You have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Amen? Amen? Amen. Jesus prays that we would glorify God. In a single sentence, if you were to boil down the entirety of this chapter-long prayer, I believe it would be this, that my disciples would bring glory to God. Now, glorify God is not a term that's used a whole lot outside of the church. And so if you're a newcomer here, if you haven't been in church for a while, first, we welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. And we acknowledge that this might be a term that you're not as familiar with. It's not a term that's really used in the world. So also, it is a term in the church that is overused within the church to the point that sometimes people in the church use it and they don't even know what they're talking about. They use it so much that it can effectively lose its meaning. We're not really sure what that term even means. Like, how would little old me, how would little old you, 
bring glory to the one who created the universe? How would little old me bring glory to the one who offers redemption to every person who has ever walked this world? Perhaps Jesus knew that we would wonder, and so he gave us this prayer. John 17, 4 says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I brought you glory by finishing the work you gave me to do. I pray for them. I pray for my disciples, he says. Think about this. Jesus prays for you. Wow. Jesus prays for you. I pray for my disciples. And then he goes on to say, verse 10, and glory has come to me from them. So the work that you do, the way that you live, the way that you think, the way that I think, what I do, glory can go to Jesus through us. Woo! You believe that? Wow. That is quite a deal if you believe that. Now to glorify God means to put the spotlight firmly on him. It's to resist the natural tendency of every person, which is, would you please look at me? Would you please put the spotlight on me? Would you notice how beautiful I am? Or how handsome I am? Or how wealthy I am? Or how influential I am? Or how much status I have? Or what a great business I run? Or what an amazing you fill in the blank that you are? Would you please look at me? That's the natural tendency of each person. But to glorify God is to say, no, I really do not want the spotlight on me because I recognize that any specialness that comes, that is in me, comes ultimately far from the God who has given, to, given it to me. Any specialness in me comes from the God who is special, right? All of our gifts have ultimately come from God, and so we want the glory to go to him. To glorify God is to say and to really believe, I want you to be praised. I want you to be exalted. It's not just saying, oh, I just, I'm just trying to glorify God. I'm just trying to glorify God. Like some silly mantra. It's not that. It's not a false humility. It's a deep, in-the-bone sense that whatever good I have has come from God. And so I'd like the spotlight to go back where it belongs. Now again, how do we do this? Jesus prays for us that we would do it, and I think he gives in this prayer three ways that we would glorify God as his disciples. The first one is this. We are to glorify God simply by enjoying God. How about that? We're to glorify God simply by enjoying him. You look at verse 3. It says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Father, he's saying, subject, object, distinction, but between God the Father and God the Son, one God, three persons. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life to know God. Now, the word know here is a whole lot more than to know something about God. It's a whole lot more than to believe that Jesus lived to know that what Jesus walked the dirt of modern Israel and Palestine. It's more even than to know that something does not come from nothing, so there must be a creator. Okay, that's good knowledge to have, but it's, it's way bigger than that. To know God here, the word know in the Greek language and likewise in the Hebrew language, the word know is intimate language. 
In fact, it's the same word that is used when a husband and wife come together after marriage. Okay, same word. To know God is to be a deep friend to God. It's deep, intimate, personal relationship type language that we are invited to. It's to enjoy God. It's to say, ah, in the presence of God, it really is true as the psalmist put it, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is joy. I can enjoy you, God. Now, when is this joy offered to us? When is this enjoyment of God offered to us? Certainly it is when we die and we enter into eternal life and we hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, come enter your master's happiness. Certainly then, but this verse, you look at verse three, well, once again, it says, now this is eternal life that they know you. What tense are those verbs in? Somebody help me. They're all present tense verbs. Now, this is, the I am verb, is right now eternal life that we would know right now the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Eternal life is to enjoy the Father and enjoy Jesus who came into the world to love us, to redeem us, to forgive us, to hold us, even now. I love the way he put it, same Kind of idea back in John 5, 24, it says, very truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life now. Not when he dies, but now. He does not come under, under judgment, but he has passed from death to life. And I'm not sure why you came to church today, but it may be that you came to church today to hear the, this one word from these two verses that we just put up on the screen, that eternal life is available to you now. Now, you don't have to wait till you die, okay? Eternal life is available to you now. That as we turn our hearts toward Jesus, we say, I want to know you. I surrender myself to you. I trust that you are Lord and God. Would you please forgive me of all of my sins? I trust that you would be Lord over my life. I ask that you would rule over me. I surrender myself to you. And he says, you are mine. You belong to me now and for all eternity, and you can begin to enjoy me today. You see, one of the false things that we've said in the church oftentimes over the years is eternal life is something to be accepted today and entered into when we die. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that eternal life is to be accepted today and entered into today. It's not fire insurance Eternal life is not fire insurance to save us from hell and to give us fire insurance so we don't have to fear the day that we die. I mean, it is that to some degree, but Jesus intends that it would be far more robust than that, that we would actually begin enjoying God now. And as we enjoy God more and more, we enter more and more into the life that God wants us to live. Like you think about the fruit of the Spirit that are listed out in Galatians 5. If you were ever to meet someone who held those nine fruit of the Spirit, you would say, that person enjoys life. They enjoy life because they're deep with God. They're enjoying God. They know God. They have an intimacy with God. You think about our dear brother, Eric Maupin, who recently passed away, whose life we will celebrate tomorrow. Was Eric not one of the most joyful people you ever met? He absolutely was. 
And he was filled with those nine characteristics of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And he had those because he worshiped God, because he enjoyed God, because he loved God, and because God's presence in his life made the difference for him each and every day. And friends, you glorify God by enjoying him each day. I love the way um, Chariots of Fire put it. Did you ever watch the movie Chariots of Fire? Would you raise your hand if you have? Okay, I'm dating myself. Young people, get on Amazon Prime or Netflix or wherever you do it and watch Chariots of Fire. It's so, so good. It's a story of the flying Scotsman. Eric Liddell, and Eric Liddell was a really, really, really strong Christian who was called to be a missionary in China, and he was called the Flying Scotsman, but because he would run as he was training for the 1924 Olympics where he won a gold medal, and he didn't run on uh, his Sabbath, Sunday, he didn't run on Sabbath, the 100 meters, which was his best event, um, because he, he didn't believe God wanted him to run on that day, and so he ran a different day, the 400 meters, which wasn't even his race, and he still won gold medal in that. But he would run like this, and his hair would be flopping all over the place because he was so happy while he ran. And there's a scene in the movie where his sister, who likewise was called as a missionary to China, came to him and said, Eric, why do you keep training for the Olympics? It's time to go to China. We are called to China. Stop this. And Eric holds Jenny and says, Jenny, Jenny, I know that God has called me to China, and I look forward to being a missionary there, but God has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, I lose myself and I just feel God's pleasure. I enjoy God. So when you come to church and you let it out as you enjoy singing to God as opposed to looking toward the person to your right or left because it's all about him, the spotlight is all on him, that is glorifying God as you enjoy God. When you serve kids downstairs with a smile and you realize, I am doing this for my king and I might make a difference in one family for eternity, that's glorifying God. When you hug your children and you tell your children how grateful you are that God has allowed you to be their dad, you look them in their eye and you say, I'm so grateful that God has allowed me to be your dad. That glorifies God. That's enjoying what he has given to you. When you imagine the, the father in the story of the prodigal son running towards you in the midst of your sin, after you confess your sin, and there he is picking up a sprint running toward you such that he can embrace you and love you right where you are, that is enjoying God. That's glorifying God as you enjoy him. We should put ourselves in the stories of the gospels, imagine ourselves there, and enjoy Jesus more. I love the way the Westminster Catechism put it. It asks the question, what is the chief end of man? And it, it says, the chief end of man is this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Mm. You hear that? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied, not in the things of this world, but in him. Okay, 
Number one, we glorify God by enjoying God. And then number two, Jesus says here, we glorify God by pursuing unity across our diversity. This is one we're just gonna return to next week. We don't have time to get into it today. It makes up the back half of Jesus' prayer in John 17. But for now, it's also listed in the front half, John 17, 11, Jesus says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one, so that we all may be one, as Jesus and the Father are one. We glorify God by pursuing unity across our diversity. And then finally here, Father, for this morning, glorify God by shaping your world rather than being shaped by this world. We glorify God by shaping our world as opposed to being molded and formed and shaped by the world all around us. Look again at your Bible with me. Verse 11 says this, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. Are you still in the world? Yeah, okay, we're still in the world, yes, come on. Come with me, I need your help today. We're all still in the world. Uh, Verse 15, my prayer is not, Father, here's Jesus' prayer, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. What's Jesus' prayer? It's not to take you out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one while they're in the world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth, as you sent me into the world, three times he said it now, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus says, sanctify my disciples by the truth. This big word sanctification simply means that the Holy Spirit works in you, and as the Holy Spirit works in you, you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and you submit yourself to God. Okay, you submit yourself to God in operation with the Holy Spirit and you obey everything that the scriptures tell you to do, everything that Jesus tells you to do. And as you're submitting to the Holy Spirit and as you do your part to obey, God sanctifies you. And the word sanctify is just a big theological word for conforming us to be more like Jesus, which is the goal of our faith, right? The goal of our faith is to be conformed in discipleship to be more like Jesus. And that big theological word is sanctification that we all, little bit by little bit, across years, across decades, across our entire life, are becoming slowly but surely more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's sanctification. Now, some people use this word like a derogatory term. They're all sanctified. She's Miss Holy Roller Sanctified. Uh, She can't be touched by this world. She's all sanctified. No, it's not that. It's not a derogatory term at all. Sanctification is not about distancing yourself from the world. Rather, sanctification is about embracing the fact that we live in a very dark world, and my job is not to be surprised by this dark world. My job is to shape the dark world around me. You hear that? My job is not to curse this dark world. My job is to light a candle in this dark world. Is anybody with me? This is our job, is to light a candle in the darkness, not to curse the darkness or to be surprised by the darkness. And so Jesus is praying that we would be in the world, not of the world. Would you say that out loud with me, both in the auditorium and the venue? In the world, not of the world of the world. One more time. In the world, not of the world. 
Okay, that's his prayer for us. That we would glorify the Father as we bloom where we're planted in this world, but not taking on the characteristics of this world. Now, there are a couple logical alternatives to this. One of them would be out of the world and not of the world. And we all know Christians that do that. Christians that say, I'm just going to depart from this world and I'm going to nestle myself in a safe huddle to four shut the door. I'm going to get into a fortress so that I can be safe from this dark and filthy world. And people who do this, they sometimes become so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. You know those people, right? People who shelter themselves, they say, I'll never watch a secular movie. I'll never listen to any non-Christian music. In fact, I won't even spend any time with any non-Christian neighbors or coworkers. And unfortunately, those people are not glorifying God because they are neither in this world nor of this world in contradiction to what Jesus says three times in this passage. Jesus says it this way over in Matthew 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the salt of the world, and you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and, what does it say? And glorify your God who is in heaven. Okay, in the same way, salt, light, shaping, molding the world around us, this is what God calls us to do. Okay, that's one alternative that we see from some Christians, not in the world and not of the world. Another one is this, some Christians are in the world and they are of the world. And so these are folks who party like the world on Saturday and they come to church on Sunday and then they're angry like the world on Monday, okay? Those folks are in the world and they're of the world. And Paul talked about these folks over in the book of Galatians. Uh, He said there are many in the church in Galatia who would say things like this, freedom, freedom, I want my freedom. But Paul would say, no, they've misunderstood what freedom is about. They think their freedom is about, I get to do whatever I want to do. And Paul says, no, you've misunderstood biblical freedom. Biblical freedom is a freedom to obey Christ in everything regardless of what anyone else is doing. I have the freedom to obey Christ in everything. It's a freedom not to indulge the sinful nature, but to keep in step with the Spirit. And if you read Galatians 5, which I'd strongly encourage you to do later on today, take five minutes to read and think through Galatians 5, Paul presents this alternative, a certain group of people who say, freedom! I'm going to go indulge and do whatever I want to do, look wherever I want to look, say whatever I want to say, be as angry as I want to be. And he says you contrast that with the freedom to live 
under the sovereignty and power of God, which characterize yourself by the fruit of the Spirit. And those who keep in step with the Spirit, those are the ones who, who glorify God as they walk with the Spirit, not saying, freedom, I'll do what I want to do, but I am following you. I'm not in the world and of the world. Rather, the third option, the road less traveled that Paul gives to us, the road less traveled that Jesus gives to us, is that we would be in the world, but not of the world. That we would plant roots in this world, that we would shape this world around us. I love the way James, the half-brother of Jesus, puts it. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this is to look after orphans and widows in their distress while also keeping oneself pure and undefiled, unpolluted from this world. Do you see the tension there? Do you see it? This is sanctification. It's in the world caring for those who are hurting, helping the marginalized, serving where needed, risking for the gospel while not being of the world, polluted by the world, defiled by the world. This is what we're called to. I love the way Martin Luther King put it way back 55 years ago in his letter from a Birmingham jail cell. He said, for far too long, Christians have been a thermometer that simply measures the temperature of the room around them. But God has called us instead to be a thermostat that changes the temperature of the room around them. You get that? We're not a thermometer that measures the temperature of the world. We're a thermostat that we come in and we change the temperature. We bring salt and light. We're able to shape the world around us to, to some degree as we lean into Christ, as we are in the world, not of the world. So take, for example, this delicious steak. Doesn't that look good? That's going to be a good dinner later on tonight. Okay, this is a wonderful flat iron steak, one of my favorites. Let's pretend that this one pound steak is the world, okay? And the world has some good stuff in it, and it's got some not so good stuff in it, right? Can we agree with that? There's some good stuff in the world. There's some not good stuff in the world. Uh, this beef is all good, so you just have to imagine with me. Just going to have to imagine. This is all good. Okay, um, but imagine with me that this beef represents the world. There's good stuff in it, and there's not good stuff in it. And we, we are the salt, okay? And if I was to put, like, say, uh, let's do a little more. Uh, uh, is that enough? Let's do a little more. Okay, say I was to put, I think that's about four ounces of salt into this one-pound steak. <laughs> okay, that's kind of gross, right? But the good thing is this steak is frozen, so that salt's going to wash off later on. <laughs> now, can somebody please help me? Would four ounces of salt be enough to provide some saltiness to the steak? I'd sure hope so, right? Would four ounces of salt be enough to even preserve this steak a little bit? 
Would it be enough to provide some additional flavor to this steak? Okay, friends, by the most conservative estimates, estimates, at least 25% of America remains born-again Christians. At least 25%, probably more. At least 25% of America remains people who'd say, Jesus is my Lord, I seek to follow him, the Bible is my authority, I have bowed my life to him, and he has changed me from the inside out. Should 25% of our population be enough to preserve the entirety of our nation? Somebody help me. It should be, I think. 25% salt is more than enough to provide some extra flavor on this beef. Christians in this world who are in the world, not of the world, are intended to be that which would provide flavor to the rest of the world. We're intended to be that which would provide preservative to the rest of the world. But friends, it only happens as we take this road less traveled. Not in the world and of the world, as some Christians do. Not a fortress out of the world and not of the world, as other Christians do. But in the world not of the world, therefore able to shape the world with the gospel of Christ that fuels us every day. Friends, this is what God calls us to as we would seek to glorify him each and every day. Put my stake away, go wash it off later on. I would invite the worship band up front with me. And as we wrap up here though this morning, I I just wanna ask you a couple questions. How do you sense this morning, or maybe even this last week, how would you sense that God is wanting you to more glorify him? Jesus prayed that his disciples would glorify him. What's one way for you? Like for some of us, we just need to enjoy God more. And so maybe what you're hearing though this morning is I need to create some space every day this week to watch the sunrise. Or I need to create some space every day this week to watch the sunset. And as I do so, I would just be led to praise God who made another day and gave me breath for another day. And that I could enjoy the beauty of his creation and thereby enjoy him more. Maybe it's that God would invite you to worship at home as you turn on some worship music each day and when nobody can see you, you sing to him. Or you get on your knees. Or you lay prostrate. Yeah, I'm serious. You lay prostrate before him. And you say, I want to love you more. I want to enjoy you more. And friends, that would glorify God. Maybe you're already being stimulated as you heard Jesus' prayer that you recognize you're not really a uniter, you're kind of a divider. And you'd say, God, how would you want me to be more of a uniter in the body of Christ? Oh, that would glorify God. Maybe you recognize today that you are in the world and you're of the world. 
and you're saturated with the anger of the world. It's time to repent of that. It's time to turn from that and ask again for the gentleness and kindness of Christ. Perhaps you're more the person that just withdraws from the world. It's too dirty, it's too dark, it's too filthy, I'm scared of it. Don't curse the darkness, light a candle. Light a candle. Because God wants to do something in you. God wants to do something through you. God wants to bless someone else through you. Perhaps God's placed you as a businessman to make an impact with a number of other people around you. Place you in a neighborhood where you know a number of people don't know Christ. Place you as a public school teacher. And as a public school teacher, you know that you are in a secular workplace, and yet what an opportunity you have every day to impact kids for time and for eternity. Wow. And to touch your coworkers, to bless your coworkers. You're a coach, and you know how vulnerable every kid on your team is, and you get to shape young men and women. Wow. Did you step into that this week? That glorifies God. We got 100 opportunities to do it this week. We simply say, God, how would you want me to glorify you more just as you have prayed for me to do? Let's ask God for help. Let's ask him for courage even this week. Oh, Father, thank you that, uh, that you gave this beautiful prayer to Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for praying it for your disciples. And thank you for praying it for us. Lord, we we desperately want to glorify you. We've lived our lives so much putting the spotlight on self, and it's good for nothing. It just becomes so addictive. It becomes so addictive. So God, to the extent that we put the spotlight on ourselves, would you please forgive us? And help us to put the spotlight on the one who alone is God. God, would you help us to create space to know and to enjoy you more this week and to live out your commandment that we'd be in this world, that we would shape the world around us for your honor and your good. Please help us, God. Please grant us courage. And we thank you, Jesus, for praying for us in this regard. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.